This podcast is brought to you in part by Collab Media, content created with Christ in mind. To publish your content with Collab Media, visit media.collab.life. Now sit back and enjoy your podcast. My name is Charles Strait. And I am the pastor of the Faith United Methodist Church, and you are listening to Moral Justice. Moral Justice is the offering of the social justice ministry of the Faith United Methodist Church. Our social justice ministry is entitled The Next Movement. We believe that social justice is at the heart of the Christian faith, and that we must live out the faith that we confess in our hearts so that the world will see Jesus in the work that we do. Amen. Uh, great question. Morality for me, uh, of course, comes from the word or is related and connected to the word linguistically, mores. So it's, it deals with cultural values and uh, what a culture holds dear and, and what a particular uh, group of people agree upon as their code, um, their bylaws, for lack of a better word, their uh, kind of um, relational constraints that they will agree to and submit to. But See, for me, just this is why... I um, hang around with people like you because you're smart, and I also learn stuff from you, and (laughs) I can just know stuff I didn't know. For me, that's morality. That's morality. Um, Justice, on the other hand, is is about equitable access. It's about equal treatment. It's about people being viewed and being valued on the same level. And when there are moments when that does not happen, there is more. There is genuine reconciliation, and reconciliation is not just I apologize. Reconciliation is I apologize. Now let me make it right. Yeah, that's justice for yeah. me. And yeah. so, and so, and so, my understanding of the two is that I don't think you can have one without the other. Right. Because if you if you have a if you have a system of morality, then justice holds you accountable to the breaks and the breakdowns of that system. If there is no justice, then there's no teeth to the moral code. Absolutely. It doesn't work. Absolutely. It's an agreed-upon treaty, but, but nobody follows it. Yeah. And how can we live moralized if we don't live just, just like I don't believe we can. How, how can we call ourselves moral people that care about the, the, uh, the ethics of God when God calls us to care about justice, yes, uh, God, I don't, I don't God think he says that we ought to care about justice. Uh, God, and, and God we, is never, God is never described in Scripture as moral, but God no. is described in Scripture as just. That's right. And, and so I cannot ignore way. justice <laughs> and, and and try to cling to my own concept of morality. That's right. That's right. Now. I want to follow up that with uh, something that just seems rather logical to me, uh, but uh, I, I really love your take on it. How do we, as Christian preachers, uh, and, and this thread runs through every major faith. It just, it's not just Christianity. But how do we, as Christian preachers, in particular black preachers, you know, uh, intertwine this idea of justice uh, within, our, um, within our preaching, uh, within our ministry, uh, within our church's uh, ethos, uh, because I want to be the pastor 
where uh, everybody in our congregation understands that we cannot be good Christians if our neighbors are hungry, mistreated, marginalized. Uh, we cannot be good Christians if we're not called um, to a social kind of justice that moves us out into that community to try and change those things. How can we move preachers to understand that justice um, has to be at the, at the basis of what they are called by Jesus to do? This is not John's calling or Charles's calling um, right. to the Christian church. This is Jesus' calling to um, the Christian church. How do we move those conversations and move um, people in that direction. I, I think it begins with two things, and, and I'll, 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 I'll introduce it this way. What, what you're talking about is hard work, H-A-R-D, work, right? Well, yeah. if you're really going to do hard work, you first have to do heart work, H-E-A-R-T. And I have to, I have to come to grips with some realities and accept some basic presuppositions about why I do what I do. So I, 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 for me, I have to answer two questions. If, if, if I'm going to do difficult stuff, I've got to answer two questions. The first one is why, I'm, why am I doing it? I have to interrogate my intentions. What, 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 what is my root, core, um, basis and belief for doing this? Am I, am I, am I preaching? Am I in ministry to get famous? Am I in ministry because I like an audience that is captivated by my gift? Am I in ministry because I think it is some pathway to uh, prosperity, popularity, um, uh, having people know my name? If that's the, the roots, then 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 I'm, I've got to handle that first. Uh, because if I don't get that right, if I don't get the, the core beliefs and the and the why right, then the hard work I'm going to avoid anyway because it doesn't fit uh, my agenda. The second thing that I have to answer is. Uh, if you want to do this work, you you got to answer the you got to answer the bell in terms of understanding, or at least resolve within yourself that justice is not an addendum to what we do. It's an artery. It's 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 a major vein of what we do. That I cannot talk Jesus talk and do Jesus stuff and divorce it from his call for love for and commitment to real. Justice. If I can't answer those two questions, then then I'm I'm defeated before I've got started. I gotta know why I do it, and I have to come to grips that if I'm going to do this work in an authentic way that brings glory to God and really fulfills that which Christ showed us, and I have to see justice as not some attachment, not some I can put in the corner and in February I go pick it up and. Uh, I go put it back, and then for the rest of the months I'm doing what I'm doing. No, I've got to see it as intertwined, intermingled, and foundational to everything I do, whether it be my preaching, whether it be my uh, ministry activities, whether it be my leadership style, whether it be uh, how, how I organize uh, uh, th- those who follow me, uh, how, how, I, how, I, how I give space uh, to all of the gifts that are present within the congregation, uh, how I relate to those outside of our church, but certainly a part of our community. Uh, those two questions are going to color the lens for all of the stuff I just described. Yeah, yeah. You um, do fantastic work with a bunch of young people, and uh, I, I uh, applaud you for being able to reach, um, you know, teenagers and 20-somethings 
thirty uh, somethings. Um, what, what do you think are the, the major contributions that millennials and Gen Xers and the next generation um, can contribute to the church? I mean, we talked about the fact that that folk are being um, lost because they don't see the church as being a viable place. What do you think that the church needs to do in order to recognize those gifts? What do you think they bring to the church? I'm sorry. Uh, what do they bring to the church that we ought to be trying our best to find a way to be uh, to include? Um, okay. Because I think every generation has something. Uh, this, again, I, I, I kind of sit on the fault line. Between Generation X and Millennial, right? I'm, I'm 38, so I'm 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 too old in some cases to be a Millennial, but I'm um um young enough to be a Generation. I'm kind of in between. I, yeah, I'm kind of. Yeah. I, I I don't know where I sit. Depends on who you talk to. You know, there'll be yeah. different age groups and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but but I do clearly see uh, some of the some of the special, and I would say God-given attributes of the millennial population, and even those who will come after millennials. The millennials, of course, are the largest demographic currently, and it's going to be for a while. Um, it's going to be the largest workplace uh, demographic as well for a long time. Yeah. Um, so so we, we, we better get used to it. <laughs> we better get learn how, to, learn how to work with them. But, but there, 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 are two, there are two, probably more, but, but there are several more, but there, there are probably two that I would, I would lean on heavily. And the first one is authenticity. You can't reach millennials being fake. Um, Millennials have grown up in one of the, um, in in being exposed to a society that prides itself on image and presenting itself a certain way. So because of that, millennials have a strong BS radar. They can pick it up very, very quickly. And, and they can tell who's being authentic. They can tell uh, when you are acting. They can tell uh, when you're really saying something that, that, that your life is not lined up with. And the moment they detect the, the disingenuous, they're gone. Yeah. They're out of there. And yeah. so one of the things that the millennial generation can do for the church is it can, it can, it can, it can, it can take away our phoniness. Yeah, it will embrace it. But but here's, here's one of the reasons why many of the church don't like the millennials is because church is the spot where I can be phony, right? <laughs> church is the yeah. place where I can project the image I want people to believe or want people to yeah. see or think that I am, and I'm not really that person. But the millennial yeah. generation comes in and sniffs it out, and now that now I have to be authentic because they demand me to be authentic. That's not a curse. That's a gift. That's right. That's, that's right. a gift. That's that's, right. that's, that's that is absolutely a gift. Being being forced to be in a place where you now have to tell the truth about yourself and real and, and, and start to engage in real transformation from a real place. You'll never get you'll never get to a real destination from an imaginary start point. That's I gotta start at a real place if I want to get to a real spot. And and millennials demand and check us on our authenticity. Millennials also bring in a level of creativity and that, that that is that is really second to none. Um an ability to tell stories in a way. I mean, man, Kugler is a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The director of, of of Black Panther. He's a millennial. Man, they 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 see and hear narratives and meta narratives and can communicate them in ways that I I'm not sure we've seen in any generation. Yeah. And and yeah. and 
And and what's what's the church's greatest gift? It's our story. Yes. The yes. gospel of Jesus Christ is a story. Yes. It's a narrative. So yes. why not have some of your best storytellers telling the greatest story ever told? Yes. And not just telling the story, but telling it in ways that are now uh, better suited uh, for generations to come. You know, I walked into a church uh, almost 10 years ago, and I love the Faith United Methodist Church. It is a great place. Uh, but I walked into a church um, that were reading from hymn books and uh, Bibles and pews. Uh, and, and, and that was great for a generation that was before me. I don't even want to read him out of a I want to be able to have my hands free and be able to worship. Um, but but the new generation of people who will tell those same stories will tell them in such innovative ways uh, that people can interact in ways that are so much different. And and the church has always had this this um, lag time. It's always been behind. It's always been resistant to change. It's always wanted to see, you know, the old ways um, left out or left behind. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that way because you allow people to interpret and retell the story in ways uh, that is best suited to them. I mean, look at the gospel. The gospels tell the story of Jesus Christ. They are not... Uh, meant to be novels. They're not meant to be historic documents. Right, um, they right. are a story of a person of Jesus that is meant to convince people to come and know Jesus as Savior. And those gospel writers wrote those stories in ways that would compel us to know Jesus. Now, yes. 2,000 years ago does not work today. So we need new tellers of the gospel. We need yeah. new tellers of the story that will convince the people of now that Jesus is still the way and that yes. Jesus is still making people's lives better because of the work that he's doing in our hearts and in our minds. And I think, like you said, we are losing a whole, um, not just uh, a whole generation of people who uh, need Jesus, but we're, the church is losing a whole generation of people that Jesus needs. And, and, and we've got to figure out, how to move ourselves aside and allow them to come in and do the work. I, yes. I, I want to ask a whole bunch more questions, and I want to talk to you a lot time, but I know you're in the airport. I know you got to get going. <laughs> I just wanted to ask, you know, your last thoughts uh, about this work that Jesus has called us to do. If, if you had the perfect church, you know, what would that church look like in terms of how uh, to be the purveyor of the message of Jesus Christ to this world that is so desperately seeking um, light and darkness and a way um, to move forward. We live in the era of Trump where everything is suspect. Yes. The word truth yes. does not even hold value anymore yes. because there are alternative facts. What, what, what do you see um, as this message of Jesus for our time, uh, and, and how do we, um, the church, and the black church maybe even in particular, how do we respond um, to the times in which we live? What, what, what do you think is our biggest priority for now? Um, man, I'm, I'm one of those back to the future guys. Um, and when I say back to the future, I mean the story of Christ in its historical accurate version is a story of subversion. 
it's it's a it's a it's a story of being in the presence of oppression, being in the presence of contradictory environments, and still finding a way for the gospel and everything that it represents to transcend and to outlive the Herods and the pirates yeah. of the day. Yeah. That's that's the early church story. It yeah. was a subversive movement that somehow, some way connected to the hearts of people, transcended all of the constraints and the cultural craziness and chaos of time, and it still lives today. Yeah. I don't I think I think the formula is already written. I think the playbook is is already established. We have to be a subversive movement that refuses to co-sign stupidity, yeah. chaos, and oppression. Yeah. Period. Yeah. We we we've got to find a way to take this this faith that started as an underground movement, and the only reason it's not underground now is because people started to live it. Right. That's the only difference. I just think we've got to live it regardless of what it costs and regardless of what it means. And that subversion will, again, transcend culture, transcend uh, the, the, the silliness with which we have to exist in today. And this era will end, and the gospel will be standing <laughs> again <laughs> because that's just the way it's built. Yeah. So when we, when we live it, when we live it, you know, we can talk about it, and our, and our words get shifted and, and changed and, and, and edit it. But when we live it, you can't, you can't, you can edit, you can, you can edit a written story. You can't edit a life. It can't be changed. Yeah, I, I agree with you so much. I, um, when you were talking about uh, our living out, um, I remember I thought about the, um, I thought about the um, baptismal covenant that we make, uh, uh, in, in our church that um, uh, calls us to resist evil in all of its form. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. I think that that is the absolute, um, that is the responsibility of the church, that we must resist evil in every way that it presents itself. Uh, that is our commitment to Christ when we decided we were going to follow him. Uh, it takes us into places um in which we have to um, defend those who cannot defend themselves. We have to encourage those who are oppressed. We have to fight for the rights of those who can't fight for their rights. Uh, and we have to live out a, um, a creed that was given to us um, by the Christ that saves us uh, to become hymns in this world. Um, it, it, it has been um, such a great um Pleasure talking to you again, Faison. Uh, I am so glad we've been talking to John Faison, who is the senior pastor of the Watson Grove Missionary Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And for those of you who get to experience him on a regular basis, uh, I am so jealous, and I never want to talk to you. Um, but for <laughs> those of you who don't, please make your way to Watson Grove Missionary Baptist Church whenever you are in uh, Nashville or go to his website, and uh, they will show you where he is going to be uh, if you simply go to John R. Uh, John R. Uh, dot org. They will show you where he's going to be, 
and he might be in a city near you sometime soon. Uh, thank you so much, Reverend Trayvon, for uh, having this conversation with me, and I hope that it is only the first of many to come. You are um, please uh, welcome to come back and talk anytime about anything you want to talk about. Um, brother, it's been a joy, man. It's always good, good to be able to chat with you. This is the first time I think we've talked at length about issues like this. We've been in rooms together and kind of strategizing and sharing, but uh, man, I, I've enjoyed it as well, and I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to share. And, man, I think you have an amazing platform, and you do great work. Thank you for what you do. Thank you, and have safe travels. Take care. God bless you. Thank you again. Uh, we will edit out the end part of this as well. And I, I really, you know, that was all because I wanted people to hear me say thank you. But, you know, this is because I want you to hear me say thank you. I appreciate this so very much because I um, really, I want people's voices who um, represent a church um, that is just not, you know, your average, um, what you see on TV here on the radio. Uh, voice, people who have death and people can explain why it is important to do what it is that we do in ways uh, that are different than the way grandmama did it and, and granddad, which I love them and I stand on their shoulders, uh, but a church that is not innovative and moving forward and doing new things in a new way will be a church that is dead. And so I, I just am so grateful for your ministry. Um, that you project that and uh, want people to hear uh, how it can be successful if they just follow the pattern that you laid out. And I love these, these this platform of family leadership, preaching, and justice. I mean, I got to whittle down my life to, you know, something more manageable too, except I tend to kind of live in chaos and I'm all over the place all the time and really am not very organized. So I don't know a system works for me real well. But thank you. This podcast, Moral Justice, has been an offering of the Faith United Methodist Church, where I, Charles Strait, serve as the pastor there. We are located at 15015 Grant Street in Dalton, Illinois. If you're ever in the area, please come and worship with us. You can find our um, webpage at www.faithunitedmc.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook or Twitter at Pastor Charles Strait. Uh, I look forward to more conversations uh, with you in the future and great guests that will come and participate in those conversations. Until next time, uh, be blessed and make the world a more moral and just place. This podcast was brought to you by Collab Media. To hear more amazing episodes, subscribe in your favorite app today. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day.